On this week's episode of Bet the Process, we will be looking at the college playoff outlook, and I think we believe there's a lot of value on one team as long as they hopefully make the playoffs. You'll have to listen to see what what team that is. Uh, we'll be talking about how not much has changed in the NFL um, in terms of futures, and then we're going to dive into some mailbag questions on things like teasers, modeling, weather, um, all these other things that I actually just wanted to ask Rufus, and I felt like maybe you guys would want to listen. And then we have our super contest picks, which we hope to bounce back from our one and four week last week, and man versus machine as always. So as always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the best way for sports bettors to track their bets, see live odds, and get great gambling analysis. As Barstool Big Cat says, Sports Action is the best app for the sports better, and it's not even close. And it's available for free on the App Store and Google Play. So with that, let's start the process. Welcome to episode 15 of the Bet the Process podcast. I'm Jeff Ma with Rufus Peabody, who is in, of all places, still Portugal? Uh, still in Lisbon. Next week, I, or on Saturday, I head to Sofia, Bulgaria, where there's a foot of snow on the ground. That sounds delightful. Uh, I have a little bit of a Vegas voice, so you'll have to bear with me. It's a phenomenon known um, for people that visit that city in the desert. Um, at odd nights of the week. Um, oh, anyway, I, I have experience uh, with with Jeff Ma in Las Vegas. It's <laughs> quite a fun time, I have to we'll, say. We'll probably save that for another, uh, you know, off season podcast. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we'll do our own version of Vegas stories or something like that. Um, anyways, uh, let's move into some interesting stuff in the NCAA. Um, obviously, um, going into championship or weekend. Um, the committee just uh, released their rankings, um, and how does it jive with what you would have predicted? I, I'm I'm guessing pretty similar, right? Yeah, well, I think Bama dropped further than I expected, but nothing really surprises me anymore. I feel like the committee has overreacted a lot to losses. I mean, Georgia was an example. I mean, Miami fell a bunch, but I feel like Miami was not that good to begin with. But the fact that Alabama, is, you know, has one loss. And so does Oklahoma and Clemson and all that, and, and and is so much further below them. And I know the committee said that like the gap between five and eight is really slim, which you know I would have thought that the gap between one and five would be slimmer. But I mean, I think it it, it really means Bama could be in trouble. I mean, I think that there's a chance Ohio State could pass them if they win i didn't really think our model didn't think there was much of a chance we think we thought we thought slash think that alabama has an 84 percent chance of being seated higher than a two loss big 10 champ ohio state but yeah it's it's as you've told me many times it's hard to predict uh you know human behavior yeah well i i think it's interesting um assuming chalk this weekend so chalk would mean auburn 
beats Georgia, Oklahoma beats TCU, Ohio State beats Wisconsin, and Clemson beats Miami, and um, maybe nobody cares, but USC beats Stanford. Who do you think will be in in that case? Well, you have Auburn for sure and OU and Clemson. Those three are for sure. And I think I still think Alabama gets that number four spot. Though, as I said, we don't really know with the committee. But, I mean, my model says 84% chance they get it. You know, if Ohio State blows out Wisconsin, I think that could swing things a bit. If it's a close win, I think Bama should definitely get it. But then again, we don't know. So then you have a situation with Alabama having probably some value on futures. They're at plus 520 offshore. Um, What would you have them at? Yeah, they do. The big thing is if they if they get in, they're the best team in the country. They're really dangerous. And I think they have I have them as over 40 percent chance to win the whole thing if they get in. And I think that they have a 70 percent chance to get in or that's what our our model thinks, even though I can I, I can doubt the model if I want or doubt the results. But, you know, it's that's what. Yeah, that's what it says. And so I, we, I doubt not to myself all the time, but I, I make it plus 218, actually. So huge, huge value um, relative to the market. And I think that if you you have to think Bama either is not a very not the best team in the country or has a, a like less than one in three chance probably. Yeah, so that's that's to, that, to, to not have value. That's yeah. what I want to deconstruct here because the market is saying that they're, you know, the market is saying that Bama is a five over 5 to 1 favorite. I mean, sorry, over 5 to 1 underdog whatever you call it to win. Uh, the national championship. So there's either got to be two things going on. One, people have to fundamentally believe that that loss to Auburn, you know, has made them no longer the best team in the country or meaning like even if they get in, they don't have the odds on. They're not the odds on favorite or there is a, you know, less of a chance of them making this than we had originally thought, you know, because if you look at the other teams that are out there, you have Ohio State at plus 757, so slightly worse than Alabama. They obviously still have to win a game. So they're almost pricing in, the market's almost pricing in that in some respects that if Ohio State wins, they're going to go, right? Isn't, isn't that almost what the market's saying there? It kind of does. It feels that way a little bit or or that they have a very good chance of, of getting in if they win. But I'm just looking at it right now and I, I'm showing if basically the break-even uh, the break-even probability for Alabama uh, to make the make the playoff um, for this plus plus five twenty to be a a plus EV bet is is thirty six percent. So I think that they have a forty five percent chance to win it if they get in. So as long as you think that they have a thir- greater than thirty six percent chance of getting in, that's a good bet. Well, and also you have and, to believe that I they have, have a seventy percent. Yeah, well, well, you have to. But you have all, to yeah. So, you have to believe I mean, they have a forty-five percent chance of winning. Again, all. That, again, Rufus, deconstructing this. There's one of two disconnects happening here from your logic, right? The first is either that the market believes that they are not like there's a much higher chance that they don't get in, even if um, you know, like the sort of like the the chalk holds form, um, and or people like I've heard people say that they've adjusted their power ratings on Alabama. So they're no longer the best team in the country based on what they saw in that Georgia game. Yeah. So that's bullshit, though, because Alabama actually played better than Georgia, on, according to our game grades, which, by the way, does adjust for home field advantage in the like, you know, they outgain them on yards per play. Even if you take out that last play, which, by the way, our model doesn't wait much because, you know, I think the last play was like some 60 yard pass. Um 
in garbage time. But you know, because situ- we have situational weight, so we don't really that doesn't that's not going to influence it much at all. But yeah, I think Alabama is clearly the best team in college football. Um, Ohio State is number two. So the, it's funny, kind of funny. We're debating whether the top two teams, which one of them is actually going to make the playoff. How much does your Alabama's the best team in the NCAA narrative come from priors? Because obviously this season they they didn't have the toughest schedule, um, and that's sort of what people are kind of knocking them about. That's a good point you bring up, and that's why we have our our ratings that also only account for in season performance, and those still show Alabama as the best team in the country. Okay, well. Alabama plus 520. Go get it right now. I think it's down to 510 the last time I checked, so it's it's going to be dropping. Um, hopefully when this podcast posts, there'll still be some value there, but I assume there will be because if it's at plus 218, which Rufus has it, there's quite a bit of value there to come in before there's no value. Uh, let's move into some long shots. Any chance for Central Florida, the um, Ed Fang number one team in the world? Yeah, um, you know, my model says 0.1%, but I think that's 0.1% too high. It feels like there's really no way that they can possibly get it. I mean, they have to – they're 14. So you're right saying now, there's no chance. No, there's, there's no chance. There's no chance. Like, yeah. The committee has oh. shown that they're very biased against a group of five teams. Like, I don't think UCF is deserving despite being undefeated. I know you can make an argument, and I know we're going to probably talk about this, that they've done all they can. They've – beaten the crappy teams on their schedule and the few good teams they played. But their resume, I mean, their strength of record is eighth, according to the Massey Peabody metrics. And um, and their strength of schedule right now is 92nd in the country after the game against Memphis next week, or this week, I should say. It'll jump to 87th. So it's just hard. I mean, with that kind of schedule, it's really hard to have much of a shot. Yeah, I mean, I know, it, I know the arguments made with that Wisconsin has an equally shitty schedule, and but that's that's just blatantly false. I think they're Wisconsin after playing Ohio State this week. There's is going to be fifty fifth, and UCF. People talk about the AAC being strong this year, and it does have three good teams. But if you look at the bottom of it, it's just absolutely horrendous. So it doesn't have like killer teams like Illinois and Rutgers in it, then. No, obviously not. But I mean, I mean, Rutgers versus like East Carolina. I mean, you know, there's there's a difference there. Um, do you still think, given what the current scenario is, that four is still the right number? You kind of said that at the beginning of the year, and we had some arguments about that. Um, to me, this is clearly a time where it'd be great if we had a little, a few more teams than four. It's gonna it's gonna be a bummer because, on the margin, I think you know Ohio State. I mean, I, everyone goes back to that Iowa game and the, the margin that they lost, and maybe they don't deserve to be in this. Um, but let's say an Ohio State comes out and, and kicks the crap out of Wisconsin um, and Alabama sitting at home, one of those two teams is not going to go um, unless there is some mayhem. Do you, what, what team do you give sort of like what chalk do you see potentially not holding the most, if that makes any sense? So of those, of the, of those teams – um, really it's just Oklahoma and Ohio state and Clemson would be the three that would kind of shake things up if they lost. I mean, Auburn, obviously whoever wins the Auburn Georgia game is going and that's a, that's a pretty small line. Right. So I wouldn't call that, but the three of those three, Oklahoma, 
um, against TCU, Ohio State against um, Wisconsin, and Clemson against Miami. Which one do you think? Which underdog do you give as the biggest chance of of winning or springing yeah, upside? So Wisconsin and and TCU are both around seven point two in my numbers. So both of those are are seven point two point underdogs. So I think Oklahoma and Ohio State are about equally likely to lose. And that yeah, Clemson is a significant favorite. I think I make them eleven and a half almost. Markets at nine and a half. But to your point about uh, my argument that uh, I didn't mean to argue before that there should be only four teams. I was just sort of saying, well, where do you stop? Like kind of, I was playing de- devil's advocate a bit. Because, That's like the dumbest argument, though. It's like, where do you stop? Well, definitely not at four. <laughs> I mean, right, we're not. But, I'm not saying like let's do 32 teams. Yeah, where do you stop then? But like four seems arbitrarily small when you have five power conferences already. So you think you'd at least have five. You're, you're saying maybe six with you know five power and, and a wild card. Um, yeah, that was the idea I brought up to you just now. Um, and it's, I, I do. I, th- I think. Well, th- then, what do you do with Notre Dame? I mean, I do think it would be nice if you gave the group of five teams like a chance. You, if you well, have, let's say, if there's an. I mean, if there's a U. If there's a UCF, I mean, it. They played an easy schedule, but they did win all their games. They didn't bl- blow everybody out, but you know, you could. I can see the argument that they should be getting a lot more consideration, and so maybe. And I can also see the argument that. If you don't win your conference, why should you get to be the national champion? I mean, I know it's not like, quote, fair per se, um, because you can still be the best team in the country and not have won your conference as Alabama has done. Uh, but, you know, if you if you had like all five power five champions get in and then either maybe like the top group of five team or something like that and the top two get buys, I think that would be better than the current system. But then what do you do with like Notre Dame? Well, I mean, they could be considered in that group of five also. And certainly Notre Dame, after losing to Stanford, doesn't deserve to go. Um, I was at that game, and Notre Dame's offense was, you know, aside from two really big plays, their offense did absolutely nothing. Um, And so, you know, I don't think – I think that question is kind of moot at this point. Um, I still think – go back to 16. I think 16 would be amazing. I mean, you have power five, and then you have group of five. That's ten teams. And then you have six at-large teams, which gives – plenty of room for Notre Dame's and the non-conference winners. Um, it would be an amazing thing to have a 16 team tournament. So how many teams are in the FCS playoff? I don't they know. They have a playoff system. They do. They do. That may be a, a good place to start. I, I don't really follow it either. I'm not, I'm not looking at a lot of, well, the FCS teams are weird too, because like the ones that used to be, like FCS powerhouses, I don't. Even, I think a lot of them have moved up to FBS, right? Like Appalachian State used to be an FCS powerhouse, right? Um, and now they're FBS. Um, what's interesting is we kept talking about FCS what's up now. Well, my buddy keeps touting JMU and how they could like blow out Virginia. James right. Madison. I know. I know JMU. Yeah. Uh, let's let's. Uh, you were talking a little bit about UCF, um, and you know, there's a there's a decent shot that they just don't even beat Memphis, right? I mean, the, Memphis. Um, you're seeing some value there in that game plus seven, oh, right? Oh, I am. I, I make the line about f- a little over four. I think that there's a 38% chance they lose that game outright. And is that the only real value you see in, in college this week? Yeah. I mean, you have the conference championship games, and I guess it's the Sun Belt that still has a week of regular season left, and those games are, yeah, there's nothing really I like. I think if, um, where is it? 
if the Georgia Auburn game, like I think that game should be is a pick'em and should be a pick'em. I think Georgia Auburn and Clemson are all within zero point zero four points in the Massey Peabody power ratings this week. Uh, but if that game, if if Auburn gets to you know, I don't think it will. But if it gets to like three or the line gets to three and a half, I'll take Georgia. So the the cutoff is three and a half. It's at two and a half right now. So yeah, if it gets to three, I mean, I might. It's it's not a huge EV. I mean, it's positive EV, but it's not. You know, regressing to the market line or whatever, I would have the true number there at minus one fifteen. So I'd expect like, yeah, uh, that would, that's what I expect the true price actually would be incorporating the market. All right. So quickly, I do want to give you a shout out because I gave it to you on Twitter and everyone hated us for it, that you did go 6-0 last week on your college football picks. Uh, which There's was no room impressive. for Twitter high fives apparently anymore. Well, and the <laughs> funny thing was I started it off by saying tout alert, tout alert. Which, which couldn't be any clearer that it was. It was a legitimate and it was a legitimate congratulations, but it was very much a tongue in cheek congratulations. Um, anyways, there's no, there's no, there's no place for fun in our world anymore. Just our president tweeting nonsensical things. Well, Jeff, uh, let's I, pre- I appreciate the thanks. And unfortunately those were not the only games I bet last weekend. So my six and O was, it was, you know, there's, I can count plenty of losses, but you know, some weeks I give out the good ones. Some weeks I give out the bad ones. You should try to give out the good ones every week. Just you know, I should just try to only make bets that win. Just don't bet the losers, only bet the winners. It would it would actually make you a much better, much more successful sports better. Um, can we talk about NFL? Can we move on to that? Yeah, let's do it. Any what do you changes? think of the Eli Manning thing? I I mean it's you know, they're they're tanking, right? I mean they're and, and Eli hasn't played particularly well, so it, it's not you know, at like what time are they not allowed to make a decision, right? I, I was with a high level exec last night from a team who thought it was like incorrigible what they were doing. And I was like, that's just a load of crap. Like, you know, it's just, you, you, these teams are doing what's best for the franchise. And ultimately, um, you know, they're not going anywhere this year. Um, do they want to see what they have in Geno Smith? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I doubt that there's any doubt what they have with Geno Smith, but who knows? Like, you know, the guy's certainly, you know, has talent at some level. He's never proven to be a very good quarterback. Um, but the reality is if, even if he's worse than Eli, is that bad for the giants? No, I mean, they're not going anywhere. So I think it's no. sort of like a silly sympathy thing that everyone's making a big deal out of, but um, like the market didn't even care, right? The line barely moved based on it. Right. Yeah, that offense has been bad. I, I don't think it's about Gino at all though. I think it's more, I think they want to give Davis Webb a shot, but he probably, they don't want a Nathan Peterman to happen. And so maybe, Webb gets some first. I read somewhere this. This is not my own theory, but Davis Webb gets some like first team reps in the next week or two, and then gets to start at the end of the year. And Geno Smith's like the holdover. But I mean, I've I've always said Eli's way overrated. Uh, I don't understand. You know, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He shouldn't. And I guess I have no issue with the Giants looking towards the future. And Eli's not the future. But I, I, I guess I do understand people saying it's the way that they went about this is wrong, but like he's an adult. It's, it's a business, man. It. It's a business. Like e- even if this happened in a high to a high school team, it's like, I don't know, get over it. Anyways. Um, any changes in your power rankings from last week to this week? 
Very little. I think the top remains basically the same. So you see any futures value then? Um, I, not much, really. I, I see Seattle at 32 to 1 has some value, but again... You know, as I said, the Massey Peabody doesn't incorporate that those injuries like to Sherman and and Chancellor and Averill. Right. But we it seems and like. Yeah. It's funny. You always bring up Averill, but everyone else is like just talks about Ch- Chancellor and Sherman. So you you must have a special place in your heart for Cliff Averill. Um, we I just read uh, somewhere he was injured. Do you even know position? And I place? and I bet like yeah, he, I I bet like under on his sacks or back or something in one of those Super Bowls. So I love the things that stick out in your mind. Okay, so I I'm looking at your rankings compared to ESPN, FPI, Football Outsiders, and Offshore, and all I can do is look at Football Outsiders and say WTF. How can they have right. Atlanta at 332 to one? Seattle at 165 to one, the Rams at seven to one, Tennessee at 330 to one, and Buffalo, who may make the playoffs at over 100 to one. This doesn't, it's, this is like crazy, right? I mean, yeah, some of them don't pass the laugh test, but then again, I mean, they, they're not incorporating priors. And I mean, we've talked a lot about outsiders. Well, but even even FPI seems a little crazy too, right? I mean, there's like, yeah, but I see at five hundred to one. I'll say this though, Massey Peabody seems crazy on some too. The fact that I have the Chargers only at one eighty-seven to one, I think a lot of people. I mean, they have a clear path to the playoffs. It seems like now because the AFC is a load of garbage. And yeah, see, where, where else would I? Where else? Reach. Where else would I? I mean, I. You know, and you could say forty-two to one. We're kind of low on the Rams. You should, but you should tweet. Can you tweet this graph just so people can look at it as they look at our podcast? So we're not, or either put it on yeah, yeah. CP, buddy. I'll tweet it. I'll tweet it up. Put it Although up, so. I don't, I, someone has to t- teach me how to embed like a table in a tweet. You just, I'll, I'll teach you later. Teach we don't, me. we don't. This is teach me, your teacher. This makes for amazing podcasting. When we're <laughs> talking about teaching Rufus how to do a screen capture. Um, okay. So let's move on to uh, to Faderade and talk a little bit about that. Um, there's a few things I want to talk about. One, this narrative has returned of favorites. Um, last week, what t- favorites were 12 and four, and I guess since week X, they've been something and something like something crazy. Um, is this an opportunity? Do you care about this? No, I don't care. I would not have known unless you told. I mean, except you just told me. So can we say that you there's zero shits given by you? Because you said zero cares, but I'm assuming that cares. I can say zero shits given because that seems like a a good good terminology for this. A good a good use of the term zero shits given. Exactly. Okay. Exactly uh, zero. Second, it doesn't question. affect my model. Like if 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 it makes the market somehow misprice teams more, then I'll have more bets and that'll be great. But I don't actually take a look at it. Right. You figure that any um, opportunity that comes up, you will see in your model. So you don't need to look at these ridiculous short-term rent arbitrary endpoint trends to see if there's value or not. You will see it in your model. Right. I'm not doing a situational analysis and saying, oh, you know, this trend is such and such against the spread. I'm saying this is what my number says. This is what the market says. This is a bet or this isn't a bet. So um, I had a question for you, and this goes back to the – 
this is like something I've been thinking about. Do you model special teams at all? Like if one team, how does that, how does special teams fit into your model? Into the Massey Peabody? It tangentially does. So we have, it, it fits into the scoring efficiency variable, which is a sort of catch all, which, you know, for red zone, for special teams, for, you know, yeah, but like, how about like penalties? How about so? So here's one of my theories that I have, and this has I haven't done any like real research to to back this, but anecdotally I feel like there is an inefficiency right now around punting and punt returning, like kick like punters that are are good um, can get you say ten to fifteen to twenty extra yards, and punt returners that are bad not only is it highly leveraged, obviously, because they, you know, I'm thinking back to a game earlier this year in Carolina game where McCaffrey was like scared to even catch the punts. He just kept letting them bounce because he'd fumbled one early in the game and it was costing them like 10 to 15 yards of field position every punt. And when I think about like, you know, the fact that the Steelers have Antonio Brown back there, He's fair catching a lot of those, but at least he's fair catching them and he's sure handed. And, and they may think like that's important to do because, you know, the, the high leverage of someone dropping one of those and also just knowing that like he can, you know, if he just fair catches them, he's not going to get hurt. So but, I wonder if there is, um, you know, some some inefficiency there. Like if I think about like a Belichick or someone like that, you know, Belichick has notoriously has a lot of lefty kickers and like supposedly lefty, lefty punters, kickers. Yeah. Uh, they they like the ball spins funny and it generates more, you know, fumbles. Again, we probably could do some research on this and look it up so we're not just talking narratives. But I was just curious about whether you guys model special teams, and it doesn't seem like you really do. It's yeah, just- no, well, so two years ago, I, I tried to break down the whole scoring efficiency into a bunch of different variables, like punts. I looked at surplus points um, based on punting and for for different things. So surplus points or surplus points from punting, from kicking, from penalties um, as a predictive thing from like interceptions, et cetera. And the problem with, with introducing all these new variables is that uh, is the degrees of freedom argument, um, a statistician would say. That's what Kate keeps telling me whenever I try to complicate things. He's like, degrees of freedom, degrees of freedom. But, but it doesn't really, uh, the funny thing was it didn't really do much to our model uh, other than make it more complex and more overfit. So we kind of didn't we we kept it in the simpler form. Okay. The second question from Jeff in San Francisco: um, Impact of weather on scoring as we get closer to winter? Are you looking at the temperature? Are you looking at precipitation? Or are you looking? Yes. At, and um, yes. Wind. This, windage. Windage is yeah. big. Yeah. Wind you know, blows. Wind blows. Oh yeah, for, uh, you know every. I mean, I have like uh, inputs for for weather forecast for every game. I mean, I don't really use that for sides, but for totals, it's definitely important. Is is wind sort of the biggest um, sort of uh, factor? I guess I would say. Oh yeah. Biggest depressor of of scoring. Yes. Here, so here's the real question, though. As we get into winter, snow, and I feel like people are like people create narratives around a very small number of snow games because there haven't been a lot. I mean, there's maybe a few snow games a year that doesn't end up being a lot of games and overall scoring has been higher in snow games, but at least in the NFL, 
And so people are like, oh, well, you know, it helps the offense because the defense has to like is more it's more slippery for the defense. And, you know, the offensive guy knows where they're going so they can, you know, whereas the defensive guy doesn't. Well, what, what do you think about that? I I mean, I, I. I don't know. I mean, if you're saying that the numbers say that the scoring is higher, it makes sense to me to some degree, because, you know, essentially there is, you know, everyone has to play in snow. Does it cause like more sloppiness that causes more turnovers that could potentially cause more scoring? Um, does it cause more big plays because people fall down? Like, I don't know. But if the numbers in a small sample size say um, that there's more scoring, my guess is that absent of wind, things like bad weather are probably overrated um, for totals and give opportunities to go over totals. Um, more often than not, if there is no wind, because I think that people do undervalue um, the wind as sort of this determining factor of, dep- of scoring depression. Yeah, I think you're right about the wind. And I do. Th- and by the way, the the snow thing, I don't think was statistically significant at all in terms of the effect. But <laughs> but you just wanted to throw it out there. <laughs> well, no, but I'm saying you don't. I mean, but but there's this narrative out there that snow actually helps scoring, and it's based on a very small sample size. And so I'm kind of calling bullshit on that and saying, well, we don't know. I mean, we don't have enough of a sample. So you're saying that you're saying the opposite. You're saying that there's their narrative out there. So snow might actually cause totals to go up. um, The market to bet totals up and really maybe they should be about the same. Yeah. I'm I'm saying we don't know. Maybe someone does. I mean, I feel like, but, but statistically we don't really know. No, I get it. Okay, let's move on. Last week we talked a little bit about parlays. I thought that was pretty interesting, and we got some good uh, feedback on that. Um, I think it's probably worth discussing teasers and the concept of buying points. Obviously, when we did uh, Vegas Dave and and Tout or Sharp, we talked a lot about how he tells people to buy ridiculous points and does a lot of teasers. Um, do you, if you could get as much money down on these teasers as you could on other stuff, would you bet more teasers? Would I probably not? I mean, I think teasers, I don't even know if I want to say this on the podcast, but I mean, I think it's common knowledge teasing across the three and the seven is the, the really the only thing you should be teasing in the NFL. Is it just the three and the seven? Like other people say it's like across any two key numbers. So if you can tease across like 10 and 14. Are those key numbers? Here's the thing though. I mean, listen, I learned everything about, I've learned everything about teasers from Steve Fezzik. And I've heard him say like 10 and 14. I've actually heard Matty Holt say stuff like 10 and 14 also. (sighs) No, 10 is not that big. And by the way, Steve Fezzik's tweets, I feel like... When I read them, I, I feel like it's Donald Trump tweeting because it has the same weird capitalization and exclamation marks. Have you have you gotten that feeling ever? I mean, I work for Twitter, so I look at a lot of people's tweets, and I think a lot of people tweet in like strange, like I mean, clearly our president tweets in a very childlike manner. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. If you saw his tweet about Kim Jong Un, did you? Uh, which one? There've been a the lot one of them. about when, about trying to be his friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, It's maybe the funniest tweet ever. I kind of want to read it on air because it's just so funny. It's one of my favorite things. I have let's, that let's saved. Let's read it. Yeah, here we go. Why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat? Oh, well, I try so hard to be his friend, and maybe someday that will happen. 
<laughs> it really reeks of like a high school yearbook. Um, have a good summer. See you next year. Uh, yeah, no, I mean the essentially teasers are are bad bets, and and most places that you were gonna um, be betting teasers, they're not even giving you you know minus whatever fair odds. They're you know juicing yeah. up the odds and making it even seem worse. Um, how about buying points? Do you ever buy points? I don't really, but but first back to teasers. When I first moved to Vegas, when I was working at Las Vegas Sports Consultants, I remember actually putting together a spreadsheet with um, sort of to round robin teasers. This is actually NFL preseason in 2008. And because, I, you know, you could, I figured out the break even probability, of course, based on the different payouts and teasing, you know, in the preseason, I guess there was less variance. So it was even better. But um, but I remember round robining a bunch of preseason teasers and like, you know, $20 bets and just sweating it so hard. Those were the days when I before I had a bankroll. Why did you but do that? Why did I round robin them? <laughs> yeah. What was the question, sir? Why did you round robin those? Why did you do that? Because there was a bunch of games that fit, like went across the three and the seven. And they let's say, you know, and it's the best way to diversify and get um, get a position on all of them. It was is a better that's not betting very much money. Got it. But I do think the other thing with teasers is, uh, is the new extra point, uh, the 33 yard extra point definitely changes the push probabilities. And though there isn't really enough data to really say exactly what the true distribution is. Um, I mean, I think that we can say that there should be fewer games hitting on those key numbers. So, so why, um, there is like a narrative. I mean, you worked in the industry on the other side, do sports books fear teasers like these six point teasers or uh no i I don't think so generally i mean i think the the teasing across the three and the seven is the the one that's the only one that really is a sharp play generally i mean i've heard things going like you know the you know maybe four and a half to eleven and a half or something being able to tease across the seven and the ten but my numbers say you know based on standard payouts that's not good Right, but I mean, I, I don't know because and you're not like again, a lot of people aren't even gets getting standard payouts on these. That's no, not no. And I think I think the two team teasers now. I don't even like. I don't think a lot of places pay even minus one ten. I mean, but I'll say this: if I, let's say I had two bets, let's say I like two teams that were like in the plus one and a half to plus two and a half range. I think if I teasing those rather than playing them um, straight up would probably be better because even if it isn't, if, if it's around break even on. You know, without my opinion, then um, with my opinion, it's going to be a lot better than, you know, taking minus 110 on those individual straight bets. Yeah, but you got to again, you got to be getting and you're talking about teasing up. You're not talking about teasing down. Most people always think about teasing down from seven to like one um, and teasing across those two numbers. Um, you're talking about actually teasing, teasing up um, and you're talking about making sure that you get standard payout, meaning no minus 120 or minus 130 or whatever your local person or your um, whoever you're betting with gives you. Right. But going, um, going eight and a half or seven and a half to two and a half or one and a half, it's the same. I mean, it's the same both ways, really. OK. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's go on to this week in touts. Um, we don't really we're not necessarily covering someone specific today. Um, you were tweeted at by buyweekpicks.com that said, you're, I guess it was to both of us probably, your stance on touts is 
if you are so good, why sell your pit plays? But for the legitimate winners, isn't it more profitable to sell plays due to difficulty of getting large wagers, especially on less liquid markets like b-ball totals on smaller schools? Um, my response to this is, yes, it might be more profitable than actually betting. But we're, our problem is not to say that touting isn't a good business for the touts. It's that touting is a bad business for the actual customers that are buying the picks. And in less liquid markets, you know, you're, I, I feel like you're going to have a harder time actually providing valuable information if you are betting them yourselves and you are, and you are a, a, you know, a profitable bet better. Yeah. By the way, I, I'm, this tweet is hilarious because it says replying to at Jeff Ma, at Rufus Peabody, and then at Rufus. I don't know was, who at Rufus is. And I want to figure was, this out now. That, that was my fault because I was having trouble this morning using Twitter and I retweeted something or replied to something to you and left a space between Rufus and Peabody. So that was the problem. So at Rufus's account of Rufus, the original oil man, I don't take kindly to know from Texas. He only has 60 followers and 493 tweets. Do you think I can like buy that Twitter name for like a few, a few bucks? Um, what I've learned from doing this podcast and being on Twitter is that Rufus is actually a dog's name. So it totally is. I don't know if I'm going to name, I don't think I'm going to call you Rufus anymore. I'm just going to refer to you as my pet dog. Um, well, Jeff, you, you realize very few people actually call me Rufus. I have all sorts of nicknames. Like on this trip, on this remote year trip, everybody calls me Rufio, except one person that calls me Rufy. Like one of my best friends at home and this the whole like fantasy football league. I mean, they all call me Fuss. My family calls me Rue. Well, I will be the one that calls you Rufus and mispronounces your last name every time I talk to you. Uh, Did you want to talk anything more about this betting in a small markets? Like you thought this tweet was interesting enough to to talk about? No, I did. By the way, I also want to know how you can embed your tweets in the Microsoft Word document because I I can't do any of these technological stuff. Seriously, stop it. Conversation for later. Um, No, I I, I think it's a very good point. Um, And I think as someone that Wait, what do you think is a very good point that this is more profitable for the tout? Well, sorry, it's a good topic to address. I think it it is more profitable for the tout probably, and it's worse for the consumer for sure. I mean, because what are you actually giving them? I mean, markets on props are notoriously small. I mean, it's or limits, I should say, are, are teeny, and that's I, I bet a lot of props back football props when I got started on this, and you know, I mean, but. And I still bet a lot of Super Bowl props, but, you know, limits are really small and you can move the market with like a $500 bet on some of these things. And so you're giving out something that really isn't going to be there for anybody if you're good. If you're bad, yeah. it will be. And, and I think like the, the stance on touts is really there. There's actually a really good I forget who the guy is on Twitter and maybe I'll try to tweet it out. There's a very good like flow chart on why touts can't provide value to users or to their customers. And one of the big things is that like, if you are good, you will move markets and there will be no value for, I mean, I was, had, um, drink, or I, I had, I met up with someone yesterday who is a, you know, successful sports, better. I don't, I don't want to mention him by name because I don't know if he'd want me to at this point, but he's, successful sports better. I was interested in meeting him cause he does sell picks and I wanted to know kind of like what he was like. Um, and he basically said to me, like, this is the first time that, you know, I'm having to deal with this moral dilemma of, you know, launching, you know, picks, selling picks or betting them and then having them move. Um, and my clients not really being able to get all the value out of them. 
Um, and so, you know, it was, it was, it's clearly a conundrum. That's, that's the, the Dr. Bob syndrome that, that we talked about with him. Um, and it's even worse in these less liquid markets. Um, there was a conversation earlier in the week when, when I gave you that Twitter high five, people were giving you crap about like, you know, not looking at WNBA and things like that. What, what are WNBA limits really high? Like what, how much can you, cause I know like Fezzik and they always talk about WNBA. Is there, can you really get much down on those? I have zero idea. I've never looked into it. I don't like, I, I'm not a basketball guy anyway, but that's true. We're going to avoid saying anything sexist no about the WNBA right now. Also, um, probably I'll have the so, same level of interest in the NBA as I do the WNBA. Um, which is not a lot. Why no. final question I had for you. And I don't know if this is how you, if you have an opinion on this, but why do you think the mainstream media is so bad at covering sports gambling? You think it's just because they just don't understand it or. I think they don't understand it. And the people that want to talk about it have a vested interest in something or other. I mean, they're generally people that are selling something. Yeah. And that's, that's therein lies like a lot of the problem with this is that the, the media um, for sports betting are controlled by the people that are actually paying for the ads on a lot of said content. And so therefore they're controlling a lot of the content. Like when you are a media company and you have a big customer that's paying you a lot of money, you're going to kowtow to them to allow them to push their agenda um, within your content. And that's a, it's a big problem. So I think a lot of the problem too is like the, the, the writers that cover the stuff, they don't really bet. And so they don't, like again, like one of the things I liked about this this guy I met last night was he he really bets and like I like the idea that he really understands a lot of the sort of nuances of trying to get advantage and edge and get money down and all that kind of stuff. And whenever I you know meet a tout or a media person and I don't feel like they bet, I just can't talk to them or identify with them around like sports getting betting because they don't they don't know shit about it because they don't bet. So that was like the whole thing when we had this whole conversation early on about Tower Sharp. Like I, I do believe like to really be good, you, you need to bet. What do you think about a guy like Chad Millman who doesn't bet? I don't think, but he wrote a book about betters. He's obviously followed. He he's so he followed betters around um, and yeah, I mean, pretty well is pretty well yeah. connected in the industry, I would say. I mean, obviously, so obviously Chad and I are friends. Um, we've been friends for quite some time. And and a lot of it came from, I read the odds. Um, and I really, really, really liked the book a lot. And so I reached out to him and we met up for dinner one time in in New York. And this is many years ago. Um, and Chad has been helpful obviously in, in getting me onto ESPN and and getting you onto ESPN and getting me involved with, um, a lot of the sort of media stuff that I've covered. Um, I think, I think it is challenging and I've given Chad, you know, I will, I'll probably be on Chad's podcast in the next um, week or two. Um, And hopefully you will be too. I mean, I'll I'll give him crap on the air about not really understanding some of the nuances of it. I I think it's just, he has to be careful like him, guys like him and Purdom have to be careful about like the advice that they give uh, versus like reporting on sort of certain stuff. Like I've, you know, I've teased Chad on the podcast about some of the ways that he looks at like public money and, you know, like home dogs and all that kind of stuff as like, you know, he's, he's kind of like making a big deal 
um, about, you know, things that I don't know are really statistically significant or really proven strategies or whatnot. But isn't the whole po- the, the other issue is the fact like conflict is conflicts of interest and stuff like that in the media. And I know the fact that you have people that sell picks that are on ESPN and other sites um, is an issue. But also we're saying we want people to bet and understand it. So it's like there's who are these people that really know the industry well, but don't bet. Right. That's that's why like it is tough. Right. And that's why people give us crap obviously, because they're like, why do you want to like give away any edge or why do you even want to talk about this in the first place? Um, and again, like we're doing it because we find it interesting. I think you and I enjoy riffing on this stuff with each other and hopefully some other people will want to listen to it. Um, and so far have, um, but yeah, I mean, I do think like, you know, one of the hopefully things that we can level up is by having people that, have this intersection of like not having anything to sell. Like, I don't think you and I have anything to sell besides wanting people to listen to the podcast. Um, and then also providing some actual like on hand knowledge of, of sports betting. Right. All right. Let's move on. Man versus machine. I guess I was Oh, and nine last week. Someone told me, but there's, no, um, I saw that too, but I was like, there's no way we had nine disagreements. I don't think, no, I think, I think he was saying that like when I agreed and when I disagreed, you know what I mean? Like he was basically tracking me personally. So my uh, agreements with you were wrong. And um, so I was 0 for 9. I, I do want to make clear that like this man versus machine segment is definitely not supposed to be uh, us telling you what to bet on. Um, so yeah. I hope people aren't doing that. I think the closest thing that we have to tell you that of things we like are Rufus's college picks and the um, super contest picks that we do. Um, but even so the super contest picks, sometimes we disagree. Like it turned out that our model last week liked, um, the Rams. Um, you never seem to like the Rams. You like new Orleans. Um, but you and know, your model liked the Browns and I like Cincinnati too. No, my model didn't. Our model. One. That was my personal. Oh God. Yeah. Jeff's personal. Yeah. You want to do man versus machine. That was like quintessential man versus machine. It was stupid man. Hoping for a different yeah. outcome from Deshaun Kaiser. <laughs> I feel like there's just so much baggage with you and the Browns at this point. Like you've been, you put through the ringer so many times. You're like, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. It, it is. I am like a, a jilted lover that just keeps wanting to go back because I want, I, and I go on Tony Kornheiser's show every week and talk about it and pick the Browns. And I always say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And that's what betting on the Browns is. Um, yeah. And I was, I always say that like Deshaun Kaiser is trying to prove to us that turnovers are not, you know, random and are completely predictive going forward. So well, I mean, he's trying who to- says, who says interceptions are random? Well, I'm not, Nobody. you know what I'm saying? Come on. Rufus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lighten up, lighten up, lighten up, Rufy. Okay, let's do man versus machine. Start up the machine. You said that we're not giving out actual, we're not saying what you should bet, um, but I am giving the Massey Peabody number on every game, but just because I'm one point off doesn't mean that's worth betting. That's I think what we're getting at, but sure. And that, 
Yeah. Okay. Cowboys hosting the Redskins. Cowboys are a two point underdog. Um, machine says Cowboys by favored by one point eight. So machine is on the Cowboys. Yes, we also like the Cowboys. Okay, Baltimore. I have it as minus two point seven five. Um, or that's what I have the market at. So between two and a half and three, machine makes it minus four point seven. So machines on Baltimore against the Detroit team. I know. I just perennially I just, very lucky. I just. I just think the Baltimore's offense is so, so bad. I think it's last in yards per play. Soy bad. And but I guess three is kind of a short number. I guess I agree with you. Um and on Baltimore. You were, and you were telling me about all your special team stuff. I mean, Baltimore's got a great special teams. They got an amazing kicker. Their punter's really good. They always seem to be You realize I when I said special teams, I was basically just focusing on punting. So Justin Tucker's majestic field goals does not figure into that. Chicago, three-point favorite against San Francisco. Machine has Chicago by five and a half, so Machine's on the Bears. I love Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. That's our first disagreement. Okay. Okay. Uh, Minnesota is a three-point underdog visiting Atlanta. Machine makes them a 0.6-point underdog, so Machine is on the Vikings. Ooh, I like Atlanta. Okay. New England minus eight and a half at Buffalo. Machine makes it minus ten. Machines on New England. Uh, God, that is a lot of points on the road. I'm gonna take Buffalo. Okay, Denver two point favorite at Miami. Machine makes Miami a zero point two point favorite, assuming Cutler's playing. Uh, Machine is on the Dolphins. I'm going to take Denver and the reinvigorated Trevor Simeon, who I will go back to liking again. Who I still remember, like week three, you were like, he's turned a corner. He's, I, a, he's I, a good quarterback I now. I know. that I was making fun of myself preemptively, yeah. so you wouldn't. But apparently that didn't work. <laughs> okay, Houston, seven or six and a half, somewhere in there. Um, point dog against Tennessee. Machine has Tennessee minus five, so Machine's on Houston. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in Houston. Okay. Jacksonville minus nine and a half against Indianapolis. Machine is minus ten and a half. I don't know if that's enough, really. Well, 10.47. We're under the one point threshold, so on to the next one. I don't see any lines on Tampa Bay Green Bay. Is that, I'm guessing, because Winston. I got is... Tampa Bay. I got Tampa Bay minus one and a half in the handy sports action app. But there's like really no market for it right now. Okay. Well, I don't move know on. why. Is, is, okay. okay. Move on. Um, move on. Kansas City minus three at the Jets. I make it, it's my, I have it minus two, so not a big enough difference. New Orleans minus four against Carolina. Machine makes it minus 5.3. So Machine likes New Orleans there. Yeah, I like New Orleans also. Okay. Chargers minus 13 and a half against the Browns. Machine has it 12.4. Machine's on Browns. I'm assuming so is man. Love them Browns. Love them. You, you got to reverse it up sometimes at some point. Josh maybe. Gordon, man. Josh Gordon's coming yeah. back, too. Wide receivers. Woo. <laughs> Rams, minus seven at Arizona. Machine has minus 3.7. Machine is on Arizona. Uh, I think that's too many points for the Rams, so I'll I'll take Arizona also. Oakland, minus seven and a half against the fighting Geno Smiths. I make it two and a half. Oh, I guess uh, I'm sorry. I, mean, I said like the market didn't care. The market obviously did care because it went from what minus six and a half to minus eight and a half. So, 
yeah, I don't know what it is, seven and a half, eight and a half, something what do you, there. You, what do you have it at? Two and a half. I have Gino only being worth like, only like a point worse yeah, than you right now. Yeah, I'll take the Giants also. That seems like okay. a no-brainer. Seattle is a five and a half point dog hosting the Eagles. I think they should be a half a point favorite. So Machine says big edge on Seattle. I like Seattle. And lastly, Cincinnati five and a half point home dog against the Steelers. Machine thinks they should only be a 1.6 point dog. Machine is on the Bengals. I like the Bengals also. Okay. Super contest picks. We got some obvious ones, I think. I think we do you want to take New Orleans? Do we want to take New Orleans? You probably want to take New Orleans. You want to take the Giants and you want to no, take wait, Seattle. New Orleans, I have I have like a point difference with New Orleans. Well, I'm, I want I want to take New Orleans. So, do you want uh, to take the Giants? Yeah, I do. I want to take I mean, I want to take Giants, Seahawks, Bengals. Um, I'm fine with that. I, don't I'm want, I definitely on want. Dog, I'm on the dog train this week. I definitely want Seattle. Hopefully, that's a plus six. I'll take a look at the actual contest picks when they come out. Um, you want Cincy plus five, and then we have one other one. We're gonna take New Orleans minus four. You really love that New Orleans. I don't know why. That's what our numbers say. What do your numbers uh, have it at? What's your more true than price? four? Uh, I, uh, I don't actually know what the true price is. Sorry, but um, it, it it actually is a play for us. So, uh, so we have New Orleans. We have Cincinnati. Oh, I want to. I'm going to say. Seattle. I'm going to say. Uh, let's do Indy at plus nine and a half. Indy. Oh, I don't like. Why? Why would you do this? I have two picks. You realize Jacksonville. Picks. Okay, but Jacksonville. They just lost. I mean, they've been doing this like play really, really well or really, really poorly, back and forth. They're they're due for a really well game. They're due. They're due. They're due. When have they ever played a close game either? So I would say Indy or Cleveland. Which would you rather have? I'd rather take Cleveland than, than Indy. All right, we'll take Cleveland. Love them. Love them to death. So your so your picks were Cleveland and New Orleans. Mine are Seattle. Cincinnati and the Giants. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And Jeff, with that what's up? Before we go, what do you think of this? By the Bitcoin way, we were one four last week in the super contest, which is yeah. good. So Not what? good at all. We're, we're 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 basically toast there. Yeah. Yeah. What's your so question? What, 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 uh, I want to know your opinion of Bitcoin and all this madness. I don't know enough about it. Everyone always asks me about it, and I kind of feel like a moron because I don't know a lot about it, but um it is madness. It's making lots of people rich. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just assumed that you would have a stronger opinion on it one way or the other. But No, I don't really. I, no. It's sad. I, I don't, but I don't. So. Okay. All right. With that, we're gone. We'll see you guys next week. 